There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome back, fight fans. This is Alden Kodas, joined by Patrick Connor of the Fight City. How are you tonight, Patrick? I'm doing well, Alden. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a very rough day for boxing fans, um, especially fans of Pernell Whitaker, his family. I can't even imagine what they're going through. Pernell Whitaker, late last night, uh, lost his life in a tragic car accident. He, he was hit by a car, still investigating the cause and whatnot, uh, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware. But huge blow to the ball. Connor did a piece for the Fight City remembering Pernell Whitaker. Uh, it's a great piece. I highly recommend you checking it out. Uh, especially those who might not be familiar with Whitaker's career, just haven't looked at his career in quite a while. He's certainly, in my opinion, uh, one of the best, if not the best, modern fighters in boxing history. Uh, in modern boxing history, that is. Definitely one of the, uh, was one of the greatest fighters alive. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't really, you can parse through all of the, um, all of the, you know, adoration, all you want, it, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, it, it was not the news I wanted to wake up to this morning, needless to say. And I, my sincere condolences to his family. And I appreciate you uh, plugging my piece on the Fight City. But it, it was rough news. I, I don't normally get a lot of alerts on my phone, like the kind of alerts where, you know, it, it takes over your phone screen or something like that. And for whatever reason, when I woke up early this morning, I had seen, it didn't even give me the full blurb. It just said Pernell Whitaker, 55. And I was like, oh no, you know, if they gave his age, that means he died. But how, why, what the heck? And, you know, unfortunately it was not a joke or something like that, but it's, it's a big loss for the boxing community. And one of the things that I had said in my article and that I think that is, interesting but also somewhat poignant somewhat unfortunate is that Pernell Whitaker it's not unique to him but it's something that happens frequently especially with fighters who aren't specifically popular when they're active later on um, it seems as if fans pundits and what have you almost have a, a realization of what they lost now that it's not there and it happens a lot with uh, heavyweight champions that are deemed boring in the moment. And then, for instance, Lennox Lewis retires, and a year later, people are like, please come back. Um, along the same lines, in recent years, Pernell Whitaker really came to be more appreciated. Um, and in any event, yeah, uh, that just adds to the loss, I think. I think uh, another example might be Roy Jones. I mean, everybody thinks of him now as... Uh, one of the most phenomenal talents in modern boxing history, and, and rightfully so, but there was a string of fights in his light heavyweight days against uh, Gonzalez, against um, Eric Harding, where he was just painfully uh, boring to watch for a lot of for a lot of fans and spectators. And 
Uh, yeah, and there was there was a period of time where people perceived him to not be taking enough risks. I mean, Pernell Whitaker is the exact same way, but you know, now taking a step back and for boxing fans like us who love the the artistry that the years before, uh, I mean, it's it's more evident than ever now. I think that uh, Pernell Whitaker probably had fewer Ricky Frazier types than Roy Jones, and I think that that was also what added to the frustration with Roy Jones in particular. But nonetheless, uh, the point's still there. And yeah, it's I think for a lot of uh, not just boxing fans, but for the mainstream sports fans and mainstream fans or you know potential fans, whatever you want to call them, um, it's it's more difficult to relate to a fighter who doesn't fight with his heart on his sleeve in the sense that they're, you know, waiting in there and don't really care what's coming back. Um, that seems to be more, that seems to be the kind of thing that garners universal appreciation when it comes to boxing. Whereas um, more subtle skills, more um, tricky skills and things that are far more difficult to discern uh, just to the average eye, they're they're not easy to. Those things don't get accolades as much. And, and the same the same people that criticize fighters like Pernell Whitaker and Floyd Mayweather for their overly tacit and cautious approach, I don't think they have the full story because Pernell Whitaker is. I think he started his career at 130. I know obviously he won his first title at 135. He was a very small welterweight by the time he got to 147. You can't hardly blame him for fighting so carefully especially when he fought at 154 uh, against Vasquez it's um it's only common sense that a small lightweight would be rather cautious in the ring at welterweight and 154 and it's uh it's you know it's it's the fans that are very surface level that don't dig under the surface to see what Pernell Whitaker was really made out of that lightweight when he was blasting guys out of the park and and putting on thrilling thrilling defensive and offensive shows just like Mayweather did at 130 that don't give him the proper credit so and the funny thing about that though is that yeah, he's not the only fighter in even just recent memory that I could say this about Chris Bird is actually another one where yeah clearly I'm not going to argue that Pernell Whitaker was a massive puncher Chris Bird night he wasn't a massive punchy puncher either but both of those guys actually were really good body punchers and uh, pretty much almost any stoppage Pernell Whitaker got with a couple of exceptions like Louis Lamelli, for instance, my buddy, right. Just a series of, you know, like two dozen unanswered headshots, thanks to (laughs) Arthur Mercanti jr. But yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, with a couple of exceptions, most of his stoppages came from body shots or at least were set up by body shots. He was a very good body puncher and um, he was also very accurate. So that's, I think the kind of thing where it's underrated, you know, it's easy to be enamored by a knockout or by a guy that's overwhelming physically. Whereas uh, it's more difficult, like I said, to discern a guy slowly breaking an opponent down or frustrating them to the point that they're getting out of their game plan. You know, you can't quantify that. And yet, you can see it. Yep. I mean, look at the body shots that he landed against Tito Trinidad, prime at 147. Uh, you know, I think I think that's one of the fights that people forget about because on paper Trinidad dominated the fight, knocked Whitaker down. But Whitaker 
was very close to knocking Trinidad down and and causing some serious damage in the latter rounds of that fight. He hurt him to the he body. Uh, he could have could have been credited with a knockdown with a body shot late in that fight. Uh, yeah, he, he and did not make it easy. Yeah, I mean that was that was post De La Hoya days. Um, that is arguably his last great showing. I don't think he gets enough credit for that fight. I think Trinidad was just so damn good at 147 that. Uh, you know, it was not the best stylistic match for Whitaker at that stage, but yeah, body punching it, galore. Yeah, he um, that was already uh, when he was reportedly in the midst of kind of falling uh, into darker stuff, unfortunately. So I, even so, that's kind of adding to the to the mythos of it i guess that he was able to stand in there with a guy like felix trinidad in his prime and uh do much better than paper would indicate actually you know it's yeah. it's a credit to him and um you know his last 15 to 20 years of his life were not the easiest and that's often the case with a lot of fighters but again one of the just most unfortunate things about this was that in recent years he seemed to kind of be turning things around or finding a purpose as it were uh in the in the fight game and rejoining the fight community a little bit more mm -hmm. and uh to see him just needlessly snuffed out i mean again we don't have details so we don't know exactly what happened but you know it's like a car you know dang yeah yeah i befuddles me um, hoping the investigation uh, is thorough and, if need be, provides justice. Uh, but, you know, all we can do is just sit back and remember the great moments Whitaker gave us, uh, one of which he was clearly stripped of and almost and really should have been the first man to beat an 87 NO Julio Cesar Chavez in the Alamo Dome, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. And uh, yes, I mean, talk about he, frustrating a fighter, and you hit it on the nose there. I, and, and, I, uh, you know, I mean, Chavez clearly has been frustrated in fights, but that degree, he was completely out of his game. He was infuriated with Pernell Whitaker, infuriated at the referee, <laughs> and, was, and even uh, begrudgingly showed respect afterwards too. But, um, and he even Pernell Whitaker even could have been of a world titleist uh, a little bit earlier than he actually was. Oh, but yeah. was completely robbed in France yeah. uh, and in just his 16th pro fight against Jose Luis Ramirez. So, yeah. you know, I, he was no stranger to these kinds of things, unfortunately. But obviously the Chavez fight is still very well known. Um, even casual fans still remember that and will bring that up as, oh, hey, I remember that. That was so awful and things of that nature. It's It was, it was big news at the time. Yeah. Welcome to the state <laughs> commission, or I think it was sanctioning bodies that might have been responsible. I think it was the WBC. I lose track. It's either Texas or one of the sanctioning body officials that <laughs> caused. Some well, of, uh, uh, int interestingly enough, and this is something that uh, I plan on writing more about in the somewhat near future, but uh, Dickie Cole, who used to be the head of the commission in Texas, the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, or mm. yeah, license, yeah, licensing and regulation. Um, he was the head of that commission and good friends with Jose Suleiman, and actually at one point served as the WBC ratings chief. 
wow. uh, while still ahead of the or still being involved with the Texas Commission. And I mean, it's it's really weird and incestuous, no good stuff. I mean, come on. <laughs> and he was making all sorts of excuses for it afterwards and blah, blah, blah. He actually even made excuses for it after the Ramirez fight because he was the ratings chief after that fight. And wow. uh, anyway, it, it's it's a big twisted thing. And it's I would say it's unfortunate Pernell Whitaker was involved in it or had it you know, bestowed upon him, but that's kind of just boxing. Welcome to boxing, like you said. Yep. Things haven't changed in Texas too much, unfortunately. Sure have not. So, uh, prior to the breaking news about Whitaker's death, we had some action over a weekend. Um, Saturday night, I was present in Newark, New Jersey, in the Prudential Center for Shakur Stevenson. Speaking of a slick southpaw, he, uh, he was bored. <laughs> His, uh, I, I've never, I, I seldom hear, I don't want to say never, but I seldom hear fighters so outspoken against their own promotional team after an easy victory. Uh, he's a young kid. I mean, he's clearly impatient with the way that his career is progressing because, you know, we, we all know, including himself, that he is more than qualified for a title shot. Uh, he's fought Christopher Diaz in his last fight, just shut him out. Probably unanimous shutout. I forget. Maybe one judge gave him one round, but it could have easily been a unanimous shutout. You know, this is a guy who's competitively challenged for a title before. There's no reason that Shakur Stevenson needs to be fighting these kind of fighters. And a lot of it's not his fault. I mean, eight guys uh, didn't accept the fight. Two guys who accepted the fight um, pulled out uh, late in the going. And then Alberto Guevara, who... He's fought for a title before. I didn't think it would be this bad, but I mean, he was not in shape for one. It was pretty evident to me, and uh, I don't think he took much forward steps in that fight. He was just mostly backpedaling and kind of, uh, you know, waiting his time. <laughs> so, pretty, uh, pretty pathetic matchmaking, if you ask me. Yeah, it's um, definitely not definitely not my favorite uh, outing, at least in terms of uh, competition or a competitive nature from Shakur, Shakur Stevenson. We've already seen that he can compete on a world-class level, even if that was just the amateurs. Um, it truly wasn't that long ago, and, you know, we saw he – many of us saw that he got a rough loss in the uh, – final round of the Olympics in 2016. And so we, we already know what kind of talent he has, that he's a very talented fighter. And in my opinion, it's pretty clear that he has uh, progressed since then too. In fact, he's uh, actually surprised me a little bit. I didn't really think that uh, not that he didn't have promise, but that I wasn't sure that he was going to, progress very much uh he seemed like he might get stuck in a bit more of an amateur style yeah that he might not adjust to the professional ranks very well and he actually has adjusted fairly well but fighting guys like alberto Guevara that that does not help really anybody at this stage in his career um he definitely could be taking steps forward and probably should uh i don't want to get stuck too much on outside of the ring stuff but I do think that the things that he's been going through outside of the ring recently, meaning dealing with, uh, I believe it was, it was an assault charge um, stemming from, I I don't know if I could even really call it a brawl. It was a pretty crappy thing, but 
point is the frust I would imagine some frustration is stemming directly from that uh, and not just the progress of his career um, probably both things but as you said um, it is somewhat surprising to hear him outspoken against especially that particular promotional outfit because they don't really seem to have any qualms whatsoever about dumping any fighter that they don't think is really going to fall in line. So that I think that's kind of an interesting angle, but there's also the other angle that perhaps he doesn't want to be with them and thinks that he would do better uh, being taken care of by like, for instance, TMT or something like that. I don't know, but regardless. Um, yeah. As a fighter, I'd like to see more forward progression from him. He has the talent clearly. And uh, it's a division that he could do well in. Yeah, I mean, Shakur Stevenson's been calling out champions in the division well before he had any uh, logical stake to calling out a champion, well before he fought anybody. And now, you know, now he's, uh, what, what is his record now? 15-0, 16-0, whatever it is. Now, with the victory over Christopher Diaz uh, and his impressive string of stoppages before that, he he is... I, I think he's deserving of a title shot. I mean, he is the highest-ranked IBF contender. He's ranked number three behind two vacant spots in the IBF, regardless of what that means. I'm not sure. Um, but he's ready. And I think after looking the way he does in his recent outings, it's going to take a mandatory spot to get some of these guys to force them, force their hand to face him because guys aren't going to voluntarily – get their ass beat by Shakur Stevenson, let's be honest. <laughs> well, and, and frankly, this is a young division. Uh, you know, this is not an old division whatsoever. There's a lot of up-and-coming talent in the featherweight division and in and around the featherweight division, really. So uh, there are a number of fighters who – he definitely stands out among them, don't get me wrong, but there are a number of fighters who really aren't that far behind, and that's just another reason why he needs to uh, progress – more quickly he's actually only 12 and 0 but i think that, that also that speaks to his talent and that speaks to what many perceive as his ability um but again not to dwell too much i do hope that he is able to get a, a handle of himself outside the ring because it would be a real shame to see that talent derailed by some nonsense yep i mean he just seems like a bored young adult and bored young adults sometimes do questionable things outside the ring or in their personal lives. Uh, we saw him do that already in South Florida when he was uh, he was later indicted on an assault charge. Uh, let, let's let's get him entertained. <laughs> let's get him looking forward to training camp. I, I think you got a really good against, point. Yeah, let, let's I get think him up that's against. What he needs. Yeah, I mean we have a featherweight division that's fractured. We have four different titleists. Uh, we have one of one titleist that is under the same promotional outfit as him, Oscar Valdez. He's outspoken in calling out Valdez, but I don't know, you know, given Valdez's unbeaten record and his draw with Mexican fans, if Top Rank's ready to to ruin him in a sense <laughs> by potentially throwing him in, throwing him in against the Wolves and uh, having him possibly and in my opinion, probably loses title to a guy like Stevenson. <laughs> this is the the game that uh, top rank admittedly is pretty good at playing, but it is a fine line to walk, um, a very fine line. You definitely don't want to snub out two of your fighters at once, yep. but at the same time, if you are unwilling or unable to go outside of your promotional outfit and cooperate with others, 
and really all you have is two in-house guys, but you're refusing to match them, then what good are you? Yeah. So, Not really good at all. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of guys, that, yeah, <laughs> the barriers to entry, so to speak. Speaking of fighters who are under the same promotional outfit that will be fighting each other, we have Keith Thurman and Manny Pacquiao going up against each other on Saturday at the MGM Grand. Uh, one of the most significant fights of the year, but in my opinion, one of the most overrated fights of the year. Let's get some opinions at ringside of Winky Wright, Andre Ward, and Tim Bradley on who they pick in this upcoming matchup. We're here with Ronald Winky Wright, former junior middleweight champion of the world. How are you doing tonight, Rick? I'm good. I'm good, man. Good. So a uh, former teammate of yours, Keith Thurman, has a big fight next weekend. How do you think he's going to do against Manny Pacquiao? I think he's going to do well against Manny Pacquiao. Manny is a great fighter, but... Uh, you know, it, the time changing now. Now it's time for the new boys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we don't see much. I go back and forth. You know, one day I can see Thurman. You know, maybe decisioning Pacquiao. Maybe, maybe even catching him. Maybe. Um, and the next day I can see Pacquiao doing the same thing. That's a pick 'em fight for me. Don't have a clear cut winner. Uh, Thurman's been off. He didn't look hot in his last fight, so maybe he got some rust off and he'll look better in this fight. Um, Pacquiao looked looked good in his last fight against Broner. I don't know if that was more Broner and, and, or more Pacquiao. I'm trying to see. So um, I don't have a prediction on that fight, man. I, I'm, I'm, that's a 50-50 fight. I want to see what Pacquiao has left, and I want to see what Keith Thurman shows up. I made my assessment many times on this fight, man. You know, many, 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 many times. People know where I'm leaning towards. I'm leaning more towards the young gun Thurman. You know, I respect Pacquiao. You know, everybody said, oh, you hate no. I'm not hating on many Pacquiao. You know, I saw his performance against Broner. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a super highly impressive fight for him. You know, Thurman got something for him. Yeah. He does. You know, he's a young guy, got explosive punching power. He great timing, great timing. You gotta have. He can remain concentrated and focused through 12 rounds. We seen him in the Sean Porter fight. You know, go hey, he had to go to the abyss, but hey, at the same time, he dug down deep. He found a way to win. You know, this kid got great speed too, great timing. I know Pacquiao's faster than him. I know Pacquiao has the punch that can hurt him. Of course, you know, it, it's Pat Manny Pacquiao. But at the same time, I feel that Thurman, I think that he's young enough. I think that he's bigger. I think that he's longer. And I think that he's smart. He's a smart fighter. And, you know, we look at it, we, everybody's going to be going back. For, oh, look at his last fight against Sotacito Lopez. I get it. I get it. I know the way he's been out for almost two years. Mm -hmm. Of course, he's going to look that way. But this type of fight right here, I know he's, I, man, I know he tra he trained as hard as he's ever, ever, ever trained for a fight because he's facing a legend. But I'm here to tell Thurman right now, man, you know, don't believe the hype, bro. I'm letting you know that right now, man. Don't believe the hype. He's just a, hey, he's just a human just like you. Yes, he is a legend. He is truly a legend. But it's not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. He's quick. He closes the gap fast. And when you do get close, Thurman, when you do get close, he gonna tap you. He gonna say, he gonna say, all right, break, 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 break. You gonna hear that in your ear. And when he does that, you hit him and bust him upside his head. When he does that, because that's what he's gonna do. And so I'm giving you little tips here, you know. But also at the same time, when he comes in, you gotta time those rushes. Time those rushes when he comes in. You know he's super explosive. He gonna get all out of head fakes. He gonna try to burn you. You have good movement. Use it. Outbox the guy when you get in close. Be rough and tough. You know. So. Given their opinions and given all the hype behind the fight, are you looking forward to this fight as much as the layman is? 
Um, it's, I think that it, I might be one of the few people, I didn't see anybody else's picks from the fight city, so I couldn't tell you, but I kind of feel like I'm probably one of the few who's actually picking Manny Pacquiao. Um, mm. and I, I already know I'm probably going to get some groans or like, what the hell are you thinking? And I'll say what I'm thinking, oh, no. of course, <laughs> but, um, it's clear that we already know Manny Pacquiao has slid we don't know entirely how far or what the ceiling is for him right now. Of course, that can change overnight. It can change from fight to fight. Uh, at any point, it could change mid-fight. It could, you know, after he takes a big shot, he's never the same. I don't know. You know, it's it's a total mystery. And the only way that we know is for him to get in there. In my opinion, Keith Thurman's uh, talent is there, but overrated. Yeah, I don't think he moves nearly as well as he thinks he does. He doesn't move his head. He uh, uh, lowers he his gloves. His stance while he's moving. Yeah, he lowers <laughs> his gloves constantly. Yeah, and and when he moves too, he moves his arms like he's walking quite a bit, and he doesn't mm-hmm. raise his gloves. He's he gets hit a ton while sliding back to the ropes, doing this kind of stuff. His last fight against Jose Cito Lopez against Louis Colazzo with the body shot. Right, and this and these are uh, fighters who, generally speaking, don't hit hard, don't hit as hard as Manny Pacquiao don't have quite the explosive energy as Manny Pacquiao, even now. I mean, again, unless he's just totally eroded, which is a possibility. Yeah. But I'm banking that he is not eroded enough that Keith Thurman is able to keep him off for 12 rounds. We've already seen lesser fighters who don't hit as hard again and, in my opinion, just aren't even as good at getting inside or changing uh, the distance as quick as Manny Pacquiao, again, even now, can do. So I think that we might actually see a fairly interesting fight, and I think that it might just be interesting enough for Manny Pacquiao to convince judges that he wins a decision. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm not super confident of it, and I'm not mega excited for the fight. Again, I think it's interesting, but... It's also, this is not the fight where if Keith Thurman is truly the best welterweight in the world, which is what premier boxing champions had been claiming, they've kind of seemed to have backed off at least publicly on it, but (laughs) he claims it, which you would expect from any fighter, so that's fine. But that's also kind of been the consensus for the last few years, that he's beaten the best welterweights or that he's kind of risen in the wake of Floyd Mayweather, you know, exiting or whatever. But... I don't see it. I don't see any signature wins or any big wins or anything like that. What I see are wins against fellow contenders where in some of them, they were pretty thin and there was no hope for a rematch and he's been very inactive. So I'm kind of, I think the inactivity is what pushed him off the edge. I think I give him a lot of Porter and Danny Garcia. That being said, he was right there with both of them. Both were very close fights. And um, with all, you know, he's not. He's clearly in the same league as Danny Garcia and, and Sean Porter, but I don't think he's in the same league right now, at least with Terence Crawford and, of course, Earl Spence. Well, I think this is kind of where I start to be labeled as a bit of a hater, or like, well, what do you want then? What is considered a good win? But I look at the welterweight careers of Danny Garcia and Sean Porter. And again, I I see a lot of thin stuff there. I don't really see very many signature wins at welterweight from either guy. And 
I think that when you are hanging your hat as Keith Thurman on those wins, then those are fair questions to ask. So anyway, um, I don't want to just slam Keith Thurman. I don't want to be like, well, he ain't crap. You know, he's not nothing. I do think he's very talented. I think that if he would have been pushed a slightly different way uh, and that, you know, uh, fighting three, four times a year and fighting these contenders uh, more as a contender type of fight rather than some sort of bonanza Super Bowl type of thing when it's just your average fight, we might have seen something different. But I think that we've now seen a Keith Thurman who this is the product of much of this premier boxing champion mindset where they're vastly overpaying fighters for regular fights. And then these guys are like, all right, well, I'm on I'm on stage to, you know, fight twice a year and I don't really have to work that hard. And all right, well, I'm good. I think this is kind of what we see. That's the product of it. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of the hype behind Pacquiao right now is overstated. I, I think I have to remind some people to look back at the Jeff Horn fight, which, you know, probably a lot of people get wrapped up in the Jeff Horn fight as just being a bogus decision. And they don't realize what actually happened in that fight is that we saw Manny Pacquiao well past his prime, very sloppy. Uh, to me, and I don't want to sound like a Pacquiao hater because I give him full credit for his historic accomplishments. First fighter to ever win titles in seven different weight divisions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I mean, it seems like at this stage in his career, he's kind of just fighting off muscle memory and he's doing the same things. He's pulling the same moves. He's back when he was 130 pounds, for example, we saw him add the right hook to his arsenal. We saw him use it against Ricky Hatton to knock him down. He, he started his campaign on the world stage against Barrera is mostly a left-handed fighter. And that really hurt him against Juan Manuel Marquez, but with Freddie Roach uh, and, and a motivation to learn, he put the right hook behind his arsenal. Uh, and I thought it worked very effectively. Um, the reason I say that is because he's not learning anything new. He's fighting the exact same way he was fighting seven years ago against Tim Bradley in their first fight. It just seems like he's fighting off of muscle memory and instincts. Whereas, Keith Thurman, for example, who might not be learning anything new as well. He is still physically talented enough and young enough to fight with a little more, a little more rigor uh, and uh, a little more energy. And I think that might benefit him in a close fight. Uh, but yeah, that being said, Jeff Horn was not a, I think it was a sign that Pacquiao's, uh, spent too much time at the top level of the sport. And I, I don't think Lucas Matisse and Adrian Broner are anything more than one, a punching bag and two, a fighter that had little interest in being there in Broner and uh, put up basically no resistance at all. So to me, Pacquiao is still the same fighter who uh, looked the way he did against Jeff Horn. And that's why I think he will lose a close fight, but um, definitely can go either way. Yeah, I, I haven't, very little argument against what you said. And I do think that the Jeff Horn fight, I do think that it was a bad decision, but I do also agree that it was a clear sign of slippage, uh, especially when you look at what Jeff Horn went on to achieve. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, Terrence Crawford tore him apart and that's not a knock. Terrence Crawford is a phenomenal talent and he's a very, very, very good fighter, possibly the best in the world right now. Yeah. Um, but it, that's the point is that it, it's a clear sign as how of how uh, far Pacquiao had slipped to that point. And that was even a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's a, 
it's a definite question. Um, and the, the actually the funny thing is that it might not even get answered. Um, is Keith Thurman good? Is he that good? You know, blah, blah, blah. If Manny Pacquiao is totally shot, then he might not need to be that good to actually defeat him. So, you know, that's kind of how boxing is funny. But nonetheless, uh, I do think it's an, an intriguing enough fight to warrant a peak. Um, buying? I'm not sure. Probably not. I mean, I'm going to buy the fight. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> don't expect people to not buy the fight. I'm not telling people not to buy the fight. What I am telling people, sure. especially my friends that are not as uh, diehard of boxing fans, is to temper their expectations going into the fight. You know, this fight is being heavily marketed the way it should be uh, because, you know, we're dealing with two very popular fighters and Manny Pacquiao, perhaps the biggest name in boxing besides Canelo Alvarez. Uh, but at the same time, Pacquiao's past his prime. Thurman's inactive. Both fighters, I think, in their prime might not match up stylistically to create the best fight possible. I mean, Thurman's a mover. Uh, Pacquiao, he's going to be trying to cut the distance, but I don't think his feet are as fast to cut the distance as effectively as he once was. I, I think there'll be a lot of spurts of inactivity amongst both fighters. But I always say, I always caveat this with, you know, I hope I'm wrong at the same time because a great fight is ultimately good for boxing. And, uh, but yeah, I just think realistically people should be tempering their expectations going into this fight. Right. And, um, I think that, uh, pulling back slightly and just kind of, uh, you know, getting a better view of this entire event, it's kind of crappy. It's crappy that you have a guy regarded as a top welterweight taking on who's a guy who's essentially a you know a washed up welterweight from yesteryear, um, yeah. and then having that be considered a main event again. That's kind of goes to what I'm talking about here. But he's the he's the WBA regular champion, right? <laughs> <laughs> I I can't honestly. It's WBA so, regular. It's so WBA difficult player. for me to keep track of this stuff anymore. It honestly is, and and I'm not even saying that as a joke to like crap on these alphabet cats i mean i have pretty much stopped keep keeping track of it because it's too hard not only that it's it's disgustingly transparent what they're doing to add additional belts for more sanctioning fees i mean it's just an easy money grab for them let's make a franchise champion and a regular <laughs> champion a super champion an interim champion pearl champion you know, uh you know a, a jade champion diamond, a diamond, whatever yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't end it's my precious like, stones all over the place whatever it's, you know, it's, it's a way to extort fighters because they can and because they realize that in right. this day and age if you don't have a belt you really don't have much i mean we had josh warrington and i usually don't attack fighters on twitter but last night when i saw josh warrington's counter to Shakur Stevenson saying, you know, when you have a belt, then we'll talk. It, it really rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, I mean how is yeah. a guy ever supposed to make it big? I mean, for, for many reasons, not just because what he's saying is part of what he's saying is true <laughs> for many reasons. Yeah. You have to have a belt to get there and, you know, <laughs> real fighters without a belt. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it, it's absurd. It's dumb. It's it's basically like saying uh, you don't have enough money to go to school, but you make too much money to get a student loan. I mean, what do you what do you want what do you want people to do? But you know, <laughs> you know it's uh it's a little bit absurd. And on top of that, it's kind of like uh, 
it, when you're already looking down from that position of power, it's just kind of sniping low. It's it's stupid. Oh yeah, especially how he looked in his last fight against uh, <laughs> who was it against again? Kid Galahad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. AKA well, Elvis Presley. And many felt he did not win. So. Yep. Anyway, yeah, it's you know it's um it's just kind of a funky situation all around, and I, this is something that's happening in boxing at whole as a whole, I should say, but um, some of these bigger events seem to really epitomize it. Yeah. So Keith Thurman and Manny Pacquiao, uh, you know, it's a big fight on paper, but it really does little to bring justice to the welterweight division, which is another fractured division with no unifications. Uh, we have four champions. Um, you know, two of them are clearly a level above Thurman and Porter. Uh, Porter has already been beaten by Thurman, of course, and got the title because Thurman's inactivity due to his injury. But, you know, whoever wins Thurman and Pacquiao, and I, I think the fight's a 55-45 fight, in my opinion, uh, either way. Uh, but, you know, I, I really, I don't know where it puts them. I mean, do they try to, because once Spence and Porter takes place, then the only other titleists they have to work with <laughs> are clearly guys they probably don't want to be with. It's pretty apparent uh, to people that know boxing and didn't have the body language when he was uh, in his prime and he wasn't inactive to go up against Earl Spence. <laughs> you, you seldom see fighters so cordial around Earl Spence than Keith Thurman and Sean Porter. And uh, you know now with the inactivity and now with Porter's uh, title-winning effort against Brooks and just how fearsome he's looked since then against Lamont Peterson and Mikey Garcia. Uh, <laughs> how are these guys going to want to fight him? And maybe they just won't because Al Heyman is content with letting fighters do what they want to do. I, I really don't know what the end game is here, and that's kind of an ongoing question with Premier Boxing Champions. What's the end game, like the actual end game with the company? Um, I mean, it, it seems to be getting slightly more clear um, as time goes by and as Premier Boxing Champions seems to be getting a little bit more lucrative with their deal with Fox in particular. But I, I still don't really understand what it is they're trying to do in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I touched on this earlier with the payment and whatnot and the, the kind of cable deals. And on top of that, I, I don't really know what the end game is beyond some of their bigger fighters. Uh, I don't really see a lot of consistent development. Uh, there are a lot of these kind of developing talents who are getting shots or are getting uh, often really head scratching main events, sometimes on Fox, sometimes, you know, on, on network television. And some of these guys are, do not have a name or any sort of fan base whatsoever. So they don't really seem to be uh, executing very intelligently in a lot of ways. So I don't know what the, I, I really don't know what the plan is beyond a couple of those guys, especially at welterweight between Errol Spence. And I mean, um, you see guys like Sean Porter and Keith Thurman kind of bowing to him because I think that they're more or less content being kind of big fish in a small pond. And on top of that, they're still making, you know, three, five, six million dollars for not fighting anybody that difficult. So why wouldn't yeah. they be okay with it? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, Al Heyman is the perfect promoter to have if you want to get the most reward out of the least amount of risk. 
you know, it seems like, you know, he is content with using the Mayweather model as he used on Floyd Mayweather to extend it to fighters that will not ever have the legacy of Floyd Mayweather because Mayweather, the bulk of his accomplishments came before his poor reputation late in his career for uh, taking the least amount of risk for the most amount of money. Uh, I mean, the Mayweather model for legacy building is, is very hard to reach. And guys like Jamal Charlo and Jamal Charlo are the Charlo brothers, for example, are, uh, they're going to reap the benefits now, but I mean, 10 years down the line, who's going to remember them? <laughs> well, and, it's, uh, and, and it's, and it's perfectly fine if, if they're okay with, uh, their careers not meaning much in 20 years from now or so, but, um, I think it just kind of uh, for the fight fans that have to suffer in agony while we see fights not getting made. Uh, I think it's a net loss for the sport. It might be a gain for the fighters that fight under that stable, but I think it's a net loss for the sport. I agree. And, and ultimately what I think Floyd Mayweather did overall um, beyond what he accomplished in his career, obviously was he set, he kind of set an unrealistic expectation for a lot of young fighters both in terms of what they could accomplish physically in the ring, uh, what they could do from moment to moment, and how they could fight, but also what they could do with their career. Um, I'm not a big Mayweather fan. I'm not a big Mayweather apologist, never have been. However, I'm more than happy to acknowledge that, um, in general, the fact that he was able to take control of his career, be his own promoter and manager, more or less, and not be robbed blind by somebody is a great thing. Uh, and mm -hmm. the fact that he was able to do it and demonstrate that it could be done to a lot of younger fighters, that's also a great thing. However, the problem is that many of these fighters who are trying to follow in his footsteps or trying to do the same kind of things, like you said, don't have the accomplishments behind them in the first place. Uh, Mayweather turned heel and got popular well after that, hit, or it got more popular, I should say. You know, he was calling uh, $1.5 million uh, per fight versus quote-unquote slave contract. So uh, let's kind of keep it in perspective. <laughs> but nonetheless, he did have accomplishments to back up his talk. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of where the disconnect is, I think. A lot of people think that they can just talk a certain way and they become Floyd Mayweather and that's not how it happens or that they roll their shoulder in their Floyd Mayweather. And again, not how it happens, man. You Are we talking about Adrian Broner right now? <laughs> hey, we could, it, it applies to Adrian Broner, but it applies to a lot of fighters actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and young fighters too, who have tried to just go into the gym and think that if they roll their shoulder, they're Floyd Mayweather and you got to put in the work. And I, I don't like to pick on the Charlo brothers, uh, but <laughs> But I, but I will, and, and it's because I think that they do both have great potential, great physical talent, and that's why I'm picking on them. So, you know, if anyone's going to jump down my throat for this, I want them to have the full perspective. And I wrote a piece about them. Uh, I don't think they're getting the proper fights at the proper frequency to develop into their true potential. I, I think they're being marketed a certain way, as we've been talking about, the safest outcomes for the most amount of money. Uh, and they're being steered away from the fights that can build them into their full potential. And I think the same thing is being done for Tank Davis right now under TMT, but under uh, Heyman's tutelage as well. Uh, you know, he, he, hasn't, he hasn't fought a super featherweight 
since 2017. His last two fights were against blown up featherweights. And uh, the size differential was pretty clear. Hugo Ruiz, <laughs> pretty clear, is out in one round. Cuellar, definitely not the same size. I mean, we're talking about Gervonta Davis, who couldn't even make 130 back in 2017 on the undercard of Mayweather McGregor. And now he's, well, I guess he's able to make it now because he's motivated by fighting blown up featherweights. And I don't want to pick on him either because he does have a lot of potential himself. But are these the kind of fights that are going to bring out the best in these fighters? Um, you know, did he, yeah, exactly. I mean, and this kind of goes also to what I was talking about with top rank. It still applies. I'll say the same for any promotional outfit. I don't, I don't have any dog in this race, as they say. I, I don't care. Um, you have all of these... Uh, all of these fighters, especially bigger name fighters, very talented fighters in your promotional stable. And you're refusing to match them unless you basically have to. That's a yeah. problem. You know, I mean, what's, what is the good of having all of these fighters in your stable? If you're refusing to match? it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And excuse me, uh, to have two younger guys like Jermel, Jermel and Jamal Charlo, uh, two very talented fighters and two fighters with a lot of upside. And you're kind of just throwing them these like bone, you know, main events again, like on Fox or on bounce TV or whatever it is. It doesn't really make sense. And it speaks again to these, these are normal fights. These are not main events, not uh big kind of roll out the red carpet fights and yet they're constantly treated as if they are. And that's a problem. They need to be called out more by fight fans and by journalists, but they're not. Yeah. And it's a, it's a shame because, you know, I'm seeing the same thing happen potentially with Caleb Plant, uh, unless he ends up fighting David Benavidez somewhere down the line. Uh, but the best fights at 168 are going to be against Caleb Callum Smith. I mean, he's clearly the best guy at 168. But when Fox PBC put out a Twitter poll on who the best 168 pounder was, seventy eight percent of it, seventy eight percent of the picks picked other because Callum Smith's name wasn't on there. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know that's fair, obviously, and it's accurate. Mo most people would say, but I mean, it also the fact that it that poll would even get put up that way, you know what I mean? Regardless yeah. of the regardless of the results the fact that the poll would even get put up or worded that way. And then on top of that, acknowledge that there's an other is like, come on, man, <laughs> stop bullshitting, dude, just be real. You know, like, and if you're not going to match these guys, then just say it, be real. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, if, they, if they think the end all for Caleb Plant is David Benavidez somewhere down the line in a fight that they're going to build up with right. two or three that's the uh, low level Mike Lee type fighters before that, that's ridiculous. I that's mean, the problem. Yeah. Is that that's again just a normal, that's like a normal progression fight. That's the kind of fight where it's like if a fighter's just going along, progressively fighting better and better and better opponents, that's like a next logical step type of thing. Not a 18 months from now after both guys have had a main event on Fox type of thing. Nah, this is normal stuff. And again, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate that it gets treated differently because it's not. Yeah. I mean, Caleb Plant really impressed me against Uzkata guy earlier this year. 
you know, I, I was disappointed in seeing the matchmaking of Mike Lee, but hey, they want to put him on a pay-per-view undercard. Great. Showcase his talent there, but, you know, lacking the progression that we want to see from a talent like Caleb Plant, who is he's a very good, very, very good fighter, uh, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, so uh, a frustrating and, and very sad week. We, If you didn't catch the earlier portion, we uh, were remembering a great champion and Purnell Sweet P. Whitaker passed away last night. He struck by a car. More details to come. Uh, very sad and uh, very frustrating outlook for boxing. But nonetheless, there is some great talent that we do want to see, and we're hoping for the best with Keith Thurman and Manny Pacquiao coming this weekend. So thanks for being on the show, Patrick. Hope you uh, and like every other boxing fan, we are pleasantly surprised with the outcome of Thurman Pacquiao. But <laughs> I would uh, I would inform people to not set their expectations too high. Thanks again for having me. And uh, hopefully the next time that I come on, I look forward to being on in the wake of better circumstances. Thanks so much. Yep, absolutely. All right. That sums up episode 26 of the fight city podcast. Thanks so much for being with us and you will hear from us next time.